Thanks, Mark. And I'd be very grateful if you could keep your Bibles open at that passage. It was page 267 and 268 in the Church Bibles. And I have to confess that I nearly didn't make it here this morning myself. Um, the truth is, I was so engrossed in this passage that I quite forgot that I needed to come here and preach a sermon about it this morning. Um, can we pray? May God, our Heavenly Father, who first spoke and brought the universe into being, may Jesus Christ, his Son, who is the living Word, and may God, the Holy Spirit, our teacher, bring forth light out of his holy word and comfort to distressed souls. Amen. Can God be trusted even in the dark? When your world has collapsed and you can see no way of putting it back together again. When God himself seems to have dealt you a very rough deal. When you cry out, why? And heaven remains silent. When you feel as though you ask, but do not receive. When you feel as though you seek, but do not find. When you feel as though you are knocking on the door, but it remains firmly bolted shut. When your faith is severely tested, can you, will you, cling to God nevertheless? That's the very practical problem that I'd like to explore with you from this passage in Ruth, with particular attention to chapter 1. The little, book, the little book of Ruth is widely recognized as one of the most beautiful short stories ever told. It's remarkable for a number of things, including the way in which it puts the spotlight on three people in particular, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, who have all been introduced to us in our reading this morning. It puts the spotlight on these three people and then it begins to show how God is at work in their lives in ways that they could not possibly have understood at the time. And the book of Ruth shows how God's unfolding plan for these three fairly ordinary individuals forms part of his wider plan for not only his nation, his chosen people of Israel, but even for the whole world. The book of Ruth is a positive and it's a hopeful book, but not to begin with. In chapter one, there's more sadness than joy. There's more shade than sunshine. There's more questions than answers. Indeed, in the space of just five verses, we see one person's life falling apart. And that person is Naomi. Look with me at the different ways in which she experienced darkness in her life. First of all, there's the darkness of living in chaotic times. 
Chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that this story took place in the days when the judges ruled. And if you go back just one verse, that is to say to the last verse of the book of Judges, you'll see something about those days. In those days, in the days of the judges, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And if you know anything about the book of Judges, you'll know into just what depravity God's people regularly fell. And Naomi was living in those days. She was living in chaotic times. Then secondly, she's living with the darkness of material deprivation. Also in verse 1, we read, at that time there was a famine in the land. Of course, we know that God, God had given to his people a land flowing with milk and honey. Bethlehem, Naomi's uh, 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 home, uh, Bethlehem itself was famed for its fertile soil. The name Bethlehem itself means house of bread. But on this occasion, the rains had failed, the crops had perished, and there was no bread to, to put on the table. Possibly the head of that little family, Elimelech, should have seen in this famine God's amber warning light, prompting repentance from all those terrible things into which the nation had fallen. But instead of turning back to the Lord, he turns his back on the Lord. And so this leads to a third kind of darkness experienced by Naomi. There's the darkness of domestic upheaval. Faced with this famine, Elimelech upsticks and moves his family from their home in Bethlehem to the neighboring country of Moab, to the southeast of the Dead Sea. They move from their home in the promised land to an alien land. They move from the place where the true and living God was known and worshipped, at least up to a certain level, they move from there to a place where people worshipped gods such as Chemosh, a god to whom children were offered in sacrifice. There's darkness then of living in chaotic times. There's darkness of material deprivation. There's the darkness of domestic upheaval. But also, there's the darkness of multiple bereavement. Picture poor Naomi as she stands first at the grave of her husband, Elimelech, then at the grave of one of her sons, and then at the grave of her other son. How do you think she feels? And all of this is in the ancient Near East. As a widow in a foreign country, with no man to protect her and provide for her, Naomi must have felt utterly desolate. Truly, these were dark days for Naomi, and they lasted ten long years. Then, one day, Naomi hears news from Bethlehem. 
The famine is over. So she decides to go home, back to Bethlehem. But the the Naomi who returns regards herself as a very different woman from the one who left. Don't call me Naomi, a name that means sweet or pleasant, she says in verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, a name that means bitter. I left full, she says in verse 21, full of my family, full of hope, full of myself, but I'm coming back empty. How often, I wonder, did Naomi spend the night tossing and turning, crying out to God, What have I done to deserve this? Why have you allowed all this to happen to me? Naomi might well have asked with Teresa of Avila, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few. Well, what account can we give of the Lord's dealings with Naomi at this point in her life? Let's try it a couple of different ways. Soon after Diana, Princess of Wales, died, a well-known religious leader was contacted by someone in the media. We'd like you to explain how God could possibly allow such a terrible accident to happen. Well, came the reply, could it have had something to do with a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour in a narrow tunnel? How exactly was God involved? In other words, stuff happens. God has given us free will, and if people abuse it by making bad choices, then they and others have to live with the consequences. I think that's probably the kind of answer that many Christians would give, and it's neat, and it's simple. But it's not the kind of answer given here in Ruth chapter 1. Let's try it another way. Christian pastor and scholar Dale Ralph Davis tells of the time when his father, who was in his mid-70s, was admitted to hospital with a serious illness. Then at the same time, his mother had a fall and broke her leg, and lots of different things were going wrong in that little family all at the same time. And one day, at about that time, when Davis was visiting his father in hospital, his father, who didn't normally uh, express his feelings very... uh, Uh, very openly, his father said quietly, it seems that the Lord has stretched out his hand against us lately. It seems that the Lord has stretched out his hand against us lately. Now, I don't regard that response as either neat or simple. But it's pretty much what Naomi says here. Look with me at verse 13. She says, The Lord's hand has gone out against me. 
Or again at verse 20 and 21, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. And in the old authorised version, it, it may give a slightly more accurate translation by saying, the Lord has testified against me. And then she goes on to say, the, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. When bad things happen to people and we cry out, why? Why has God allowed this to happen? Does God splutter, I'm sorry, but it's got nothing to do with me? No. God whispers, I think, dear child, there is a reason, and one day you will understand. And in the meantime, while God's people wait for understanding, God's help may be nearer than they think. It was certainly nearer to Naomi than she could have realized at the time. God's gracious provision for Naomi was just around the corner. In fact, his provision was standing right next to her and clinging on to her in the person of Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. Ruth had traveled as far as the crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem, and there she had made a momentous decision. Ruth's sister-in-law, Orpah, had turned around and gone back to Moab, and no blame is attached to her. But Ruth stood her ground and declared to Naomi, I've made up my mind, I'm going to Bethlehem with you. Please look at verse 16, it's absolutely beautiful. Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. It cannot have been an easy decision for Ruth. It was a journey from the known into the unknown. From security to insecurity from her gods to Naomi's God. In going to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Ruth would have no real prospects at all as an alien woman in a foreign land. No prospects except to share in Naomi's desolation and in her lonely old age. But God was about to do far more abundantly than either of them could ask or even imagine. Neither of them could have known at the time that God was about to transform their situation utterly. And this would have blessed consequences, not just for themselves, but would prove to be part of God's gracious plan for the nation of Israel, and beyond that, his plan for the redemption of of the whole world. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. 
all Naomi and Ruth have at the moment is a glimmer of light on the horizon. Verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The chapter begins with the beginning of a famine and ends with the beginning of a harvest. Yes, the author of this lovely book says to us with, I think, a knowing wink, the tide is just beginning to turn. God's plan is beginning to unfold. God's dawn is beginning to break. More of that breaking dawn over the next two weeks as Alan and Diana bring to us the later chapters of Ruth. But I want to close this morning, still in chapter one, but with a few words of encouragement to anyone who feels that God's hand has gone out against them and who may be struggling to understand why. Three things quickly. First, remember that others have trodden this path before you. Even Jesus Christ at the great turning point of history to which the story of Ruth eventually leads, even he cried out, why? As he hung on the cross, he uttered, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the great value, I think, of this morning's passage is that we, from our position and perspective, can look back and read God's signature in the lives of Naomi and Ruth when we cannot yet make out his handwriting in our own lives and see that just as his signature became clear to them later, so it can and it will become clear in our own lives if we cannot yet read it. Remember that others have trodden the path before you. Secondly, learn to take the long view. For ten long years, things went from bad to worse for poor Naomi. And even now is there only the smallest glimmer of hope. But God's ways are not our ways, nor his timing, our timing. In one of the greatest of the Psalms, Psalm 73, Asaph ponders the question why wicked people seem to flourish when godly people so often seem to be given such a rough deal. And then in the middle of the Psalm, in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, Then I understood their final destiny. He learned to take the long view. And finally, he finds rest for his soul in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Learn to take the long view. And that leads me finally to... This, above all else, 
cling to God because there is no other to cling to. Do you remember how in John's Gospel in chapter 6, Jesus began to teach his followers about himself as the bread of life? And we read these sad words. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus turns to the twelve and asks them, do you want to leave too? And it's Simon Peter. Simon Peter kind of speak first, think later. Foot in mouth, Simon Peter, who, who speaks up. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And God has promised his people, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Yes, God can be trusted, even in the dark. Let us pray. May that God shine in broken hearts, confused minds, sad souls today. And may we be strengthened and equipped for such a day when we ask and seek and knock, but for the time being, receive no answer. May we learn to trust in God in the dark and cling to him, for there is no other. Amen.